Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Scott Berman. He is president and co-founder at the Panther Group. They work with cannabis companies, helping them really get into the industry, helping them expand their business. I think as most people know, expanding and growth inside cannabis, I think everyone receives it as easy and we've got money falling off trees and everything. The fact is, is it's quite complicated. And there's a lot of things about operating, owning and operating a cannabis company that can be a little tricky and a little different than other industries. And Scott and his group really help companies figure out strategy, how they're going to execute on that, how they're really going to promote and drive leads, drive the business, grow the business, and really have have a lot of experience working with many, many different companies. So I'm excited for this. I'm excited to talk um, what's going on in the cannabis industry in general. Might even talk about what's going on in New York, New Jersey, kind of East Coast a little bit, but really uh, hopefully um, you know, have an interesting conversation on Scott's experience and insight on what's been happening in cannabis and what is likely to come in terms of uh, changes and new regulations and things like that. So with that, Scott, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Bruce. I appreciate being on today. 
Yeah, it's my pleasure. Before we kind of dig into everything that's going on today, let's do a little background. Um, how did you get into cannabis? What was your business experience before that? Give me a little of the backstory. Sure. So I'm um, born and raised in Philadelphia, PA. Started my career about 1988 in the jewelry business, family business here in Philly. Along the way, I learned how to do AdWords and I started selling jewelry online. And 2008, I co-founded a company that did politics online called Audience Partners. And so we did data-driven political targeting. We got involved with the, the ad tech space in a big way. And we ended up in doing healthcare and politics. And in about 2014, I got involved with the Marijuana Policy Project. And they were running ballot initiative ads in many states. And so they became a client of mine. And we ran ads in Alaska for, for the ballot initiative. And it, it passed by 21,000 votes, which is not a lot. Yeah, And so we were super excited and we got really involved in, in politics around cannabis. Yeah. And so what were you doing? I mean, I mean, I think people have a general sense of what it means to do, you know, kind of online digital advertising and digital promotion and stuff. But what specifically, what did you figure out and how did it apply to politics? I mean, give me a little insight on kind of your, you know, the specialty that you developed. Sure. So when we first started the company, about 2% of a political budget was spent on digital marketing. Most of it was on direct mail and television and radio. We yeah. knew that was going to change. So we came in with some, some ideas about how to do first AdWords and do simply uh, geofencing zip codes of congressional districts. That was the early days. And mm -hmm. then what we did, uh, we kind of pioneered taking offline voter files. So we took every registered voter in the country. We matched them to device IDs, cable boxes, and cookies. And so then we plug that data into the whole ad tech ecosystem, mm -hmm. or at least as much of it as we could get to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically our voter files were in a lot of places and we got a patent on it and we were then able to target a lot of different voters. So we could target Republican females in Illinois, Democratic males in Texas, in every congressional district in the country. And we were able to do this with a lot of different types of inventory digitally. So um, that, that put us kind of ahead of the game. And as time went on, each con each congressional cycle, the the percentage went up. So then it was 10% of the budget. Now it's 50 to 60% of a political budget is spent with digital marketing. And this, I mean, up until then, people, you know, if you were doing a political campaign, you'd get a billboard and you have to come up with some message that was generally appealing to everyone because everyone's going to see the billboard. But now that you're dealing with targeted messaging, you could actually say, okay, for this audience you know, I want to send this message and talk about this issue versus this audience. I want to send this message and this issue. And that's what you were really allowing these folks to be able to do. Yes. And it was extremely effective. So we were able to target very specific types of voters with different messaging. And then we were able to test. So we were able to understand what messages were working. And sometimes that went with the polling data. So we would the pollsters would come at us with reports and then we would look at the digital marketing and kind of either agree to or disagree with what the poll says based on the click behavior and what was happening on the website. So there was an awful lot of data and analytics that was extremely helpful to the political campaign. Yeah. So then talk about what you did with MPP and, and how, how you used this platform to really get this passed in Alaska, like what, what were some of the things that they were trying to do that you were, you enabled by having this targeted service? Yeah. So it's a really interesting state politically. There's not that many voters there. There's it skews more Republican. And so it was, there was a, a real mix, a real split on whether cannabis should be legalized. Yeah. And so what we did was we highlighted certain groups with different messaging. So for example, for, you know, moms, you know, let's say 30 to 50 year old females, 
we would run an ad that was talking about, you know, let's allow access for medicine for children uh, that needed it, or let's allow, you know, freedom for like 25 year old males that were Democrats would get a message about, you know, free choices and being able to, um, you know, provide liberty for that, which, which went well in Alaska. And so, you know, we tested different messages and we looked at what, what happened. And the other thing that we did on a grand scale was we looked at the entire voter population and we broke it out into three buckets. Those that were in favor of cannabis legalization, those were, that were against and those that were persuadable. Yeah. And we kind of looked at the, the voting population of Alaska and we tailored those messages to those groups. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Is rather than blowing all your money on people that are, are already going to vote, <laughs> yes, or you know are going to vote no, you have no chance of, sway, of swaying them, you know, that you focus on this undecided middle. Yeah. And the one yeah. interesting thing that we learned, and this goes true for every, every state pretty much, is that it's less of a Republican and Democratic issue and more of a age issue. So yeah. generally voters over 70 years old are not going to be that much in favor of legalization. Under 60, let's say, you know, it's, it's a huge difference. And so that's part of it as new voters come into the voting rolls and older voters don't, you know, unfortunately die off. Um, It changes the calculus. And that's why cannabis legalization is doing so well. Yeah. So you ran this campaign for Alaska, for MPP, and then that kind of got you exposed to cannabis. How did you go from there? What was the story of getting involved in the industry? So the two, so we looked at the next two years and we thought, what's going to happen next? And we had a good inclination that California would go to adult use in 16. So we went to Cali and we actually started off trying to sell digital marketing. I figured, you know, we could sell cannabis targeting and it was too early. People sort of said, I, I love what you're doing, but I really need more stores to carry my products. And yeah. so quickly we realized that nobody really had sales reps. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> we're entrepreneurs, we're businessmen and women, and we were like, oh, everybody needs a good sales rep. So we decided to create, you know, we saw a hole in the, in the industry. Um, There's a lot of great producers in many stores. And California is a huge state. So we created sales reps and distribution. And we did it in L.A. and Oakland, which, you know, so it's a very large state. And we knew yeah. that we, if we had a hub in both places, we could serve the entire place. So that was our first entry into the space, uh, and that was about 2015. Yeah. And what did you find? I mean, I'm always curious, people sort of getting into cannabis that have, you know, significant experience in other industries. Like, what were the, the things you kind of anticipated, things you didn't anticipate? Like, what did you learn as you got involved? Well, we, we certainly anticipated the demand for our services. We came along at a right time. We knew that people needed us. And once we started talking about it, we sold our services very quickly. Yeah. We knew that there were a lot of brands that were trying to get launched. You know, everybody has the best weed. I, I met the best weed grower about 85 different times, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, I'm a bit sarcastic, Bruce. So sometimes I would say, you know, is Budweiser really the king of beers? <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, um, and everybody needs sales and marketing and distribution. So I yeah. started to realize that, you know, everybody was concentrating on one aspect. And so it was time, you know, so we kind of knew that that was going to happen being in other industries. I would say that there was plenty of things we didn't anticipate, and that was um, honestly the difficulty in finding trained sales folks that understood the cannabis space. You have to understand the plant and how to talk about it and how to, you know, convince a bud tender or a store owner to use it or, or carry it in their store. But you also have to be an efficient salesperson who hustles and communicates well. And I, I believe that was a challenge we underestimated. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, and just to check, you're mentioning we here. So how how did this group go from the work you were doing in politics to cannabis policy to actually get involved in the space on the sales and distribution side? So actually, it's a good question. Actually, it was a com- almost a completely different team with the exception of me <laughs> Got it. Got and it. one other. So we kind of split it off and um, put a, built a new company out of it, hired a team out in Oakland. Um, Got it. Because exactly, you know, based on your question, it was kind of hard to, to switch over. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, we were coming from the ad tech world and then we were entering cannabis. So we kind of built a new team. Yeah. Yeah. So connect the dots from there to Panther. Like how did things evolve to get to where you are today? So um, while we were building that business, we were raising money and we went to RQ in mm-hmm. 2015, I believe. And I met um, a, a guy by the name of Dr. Ramey Tritt. He became an investor in our company and a great friend and mentor of mine. And so in 2017, I was able to start investing my own capital and I called Ramey and he had started the Panther Opportunity Fund. Okay. And so he said, yes, come in with us, uh, join our investment committee. And I really liked and respected those guys. So that's how I ended up getting into the venture side of things. Got it. And and where were you? Where were you placing money? Like what kind of businesses? What did they look like? Any thesis to your to your strategies? Yeah. So in the beginning, um, I, the first investment I made was in a farm in Oregon, a cultivation facility. Which is some I believed in the Oregon market, and I liked the people that were involved. And then I actually started getting into the fund, and we looked at everything. And so over the years, you know, we've we've invested in a lot of different types of sectors. And so there there wasn't anything specific that we looked at. It was more just what are good opportunities in the space and when is the right timing? Yeah. And so what are good opportunities in the space and when is the right timing? <laughs> like, what what so, do you got to learn about how to kind of analyze and like, yeah, I mean, timing is everything in this space. Like what were the, what were your kind of learnings or, you know, heuristics? So in the earlier stages of the fund, we looked at a lot of ancillary businesses, companies that had technology, so mm-hmm. lab testing, data and analytics, advertising, cannabis trade shows, fintech, ag tech, like lighting and HVAC systems, point of sale platforms. You know, there's so many staffing. There's a lot of different sectors that we knew were going to be important in each individual market. As time went on, we started to identify more opportunities in actual dispensaries or grow operations and then brands. And so I think it's really looking at the evolution of each individual market and saying, you know, what do they need now and what will they need in a couple of years from now? Yeah. And any interesting stories, any, any companies that, you know, earlier in the process that did particularly well or not particularly well <laughs> that you learn from? Oh, yeah. We learn every day, Bruce. Yeah. So I would say, you know, um, some of the interesting ones that we got involved with um, was a company called Pathogen DX. You know, they came into cannabis and made a, a diagnostic testing kit for labs and grow operations. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of those, you know, kind of, I hate to say it, but not a little bit of a boring space, but it's yeah. extremely important and regulated and, and really necessary. And so they started doing really well. And then they actually developed a COVID diagnosing t- kit as well. Oh, we got a grant from the government um, when COVID began. And so part of, you know, that's also another strategy that we deploy is finding companies that aren't necessarily all in cannabis, but can apply to other sectors. Uh, <laughs> lighting is another example. Uh, one of our lighting investments did cannabis grows, but also lettuce and vegetables. And so yeah. we like to see that as well. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. 
Anything else in terms of, I'm just kind of always curious, like how people evaluate some of these early stage opportunities, particularly in, in industries like cannabis, where it's just, you just don't know exactly what's going to happen. Like, are you looking at the leadership team? Are you looking at the business model? Are you looking at market dynamics? Are you looking at, you know, IP? Like what really drives your investment decision or what are the factors that really help you understand Look, is this is this thing has legs? Like, should we invest in this thing? I would say all of the above for sure. Yeah. I mean, very they're all very important. I mean, I really do think that I'm glad you mentioned the team first because yeah. the leadership is extremely important. What have they done beforehand? A lot of people don't have a ton of cannabis experience, but they have experience in other businesses. You know, they've yeah. had exits before. They have a good team around them. That's really important. So one person can't scale a business, but if you have a good squad, you can do a lot of things. So certainly that's important. The market, the business model, of course, and, and having a business model that's, you know, well thought out and detailed, but not overdone. And we don't think you're going to do 28 million in your second year. So <laughs> don't, uh, don't try that. Don't insult us. Yeah. Well, you know, like everyone's got, I appreciate big dreams. I, I yeah. don't, you know, but I also like realistic plans. And I also think that it's usually harder than you think. Yeah. So having a right, a business model that's, that makes sense, but also you mentioned market dynamics. So I think it's really important to understand where you're going to operate, what the laws look like now and what they will like in a couple of years from now and how you're going to navigate that. Yeah. And do you find most of the cannabis companies, um, well, so I, you know, we've got this pending or more potentially pending <laughs> federal legalization, right? Which is going to be obviously hugely disruptive, usually, you know, cause a lot of change in the market. Do you find that most companies are, or, or how, I guess, how do you find companies are kind of planning for that? Or, you know, are there strategies that you see? Or, you know, how does that come up in the discussion of like, what is your future plan over the next five to seven years? Like, how does, how does federal legalization kind of play into that discussion? Yeah, I think every company should be planning for this. And most of them are. And so if you're a, an, an ancillary business or a business that can operate in multiple states, then you're looking at, you know, when each state will come online. OK, if you're a plant touching business, you're thinking about when can we cross state lines? There's a big yeah. difference. Right. So I think that for the, the, the dispensaries that are operating in, in different states now for the grows that would like to ship out of state, I think federal legalization is will be a huge catalyst. For the companies today that can operate in a different state, they're not as much concerned about what's going to happen federally as they are what's going to happen in each state and when. Yeah. So I really think it depends on different sectors. But overall, as an investment fund, we're definitely focused on both the changes in the state and the federal laws. Yeah. And do you find that, I guess, how do companies balance this? Well, I want to expand my market now. And if I'm going to do that, I have to set up, if I'm, if I'm plant touching, I've got to set up separate operations in each, in each state, right? I can't cross state lines with anything versus this, you know, issue of that's a pain, right? Like I'm going to have to invest a lot of capital and stuff. Do I just wait until I get federalization? And then I can, then I can really have the advantages of scale and I can have centralized, you know, production and distribution and all this. Is there a choice to be made here or how do you see companies kind of balancing this? Yeah, so there is definitely a choice. I would say don't wait. <laughs> You know, I yeah. think that because you're going to lose, if you wait, you're going to lose traction in each individual state. So, the, you know, getting early mover advantage is really important, you know, but obviously it's more tricky if you have to get licensed. So the licensing factor, I mean, a lot of companies are building joint ventures with a license holder in a new state. Uh -huh. So they'll come in and take 51% of an operation and they'll help, you know, build it out and, and provide capital. 
So I think it's, you know, it's really important to consider what will happen, but also not to not to anticipate when, you know, because we don't know when it will happen. Yeah. And so you have to prepare that it's going to be like it is for the next couple of years. But, you know, in the long run, yes, it will be federally legal. Yeah. And any particular kind of segments of the industry that's interesting to you right now? I mean, I, I know like cultivation's getting hammered in a couple of states, right? That's not a very fun place to be right now. But, you know, other other parts of that industry, you know, are doing well or different regions. I mean, what's if, if you kind of look at the landscape, what's what piques your interest? Well, I hate to say this, but there's almost everything piques my interest. So, but <laughs> I, I will be more specific. And my team helps, likes it when I'm being more specific. But, you know, certainly we like limited license states. So vertically integrated operations in limited license states are a big deal right now. And they have been providing pretty big exit opportunities in the last couple of years. And we see that continuing. So that's one thing. The second thing is we're very interested in brands that are able to, to be in different states so there's certain brands now that are growing into different markets with different partnerships. And mm-hmm. we, we believe that there will be national brands and we believe that someone will get out there and, and become, you know, the absolute vodka or something like that, you know, or, or major beer brand. And there will be that in cannabis. Yeah. And so if you're able to successfully operate your brand in more than one state and build up a following, um, we think that's very exciting. The next thing is still data and advertising and marketing. We feel like most companies are underinvested in this and we think it's going to be evolving just like a regular CPG business. And so we feel enormous opportunity in the data space. Yeah. And I mean, talk to us a little bit about that one because it's tricky. I mean, most of the big platforms, you know, are still reasonably restrictive around, you know, cannabis related products and companies and advertising. I mean, is that, is that changing at all? Do you see it changing? Where, where do we stand in terms of being able to use these platforms for cannabis? Yeah. So I get this question a lot and it's very important. So although Google and Facebook won't take cannabis, there's a lot of other places where we can advertise digitally. A lot of what we're doing is through programmatic data-driven targeting, using cookies and device IDs, using first and third-party data. We're able to build a customer model and attach it to inventory that's not Google. And so there's plenty of places to advertise on websites and apps and newsletters and podcasts. And so there's a lot of places that we can run advertising now and we can attach a data signal to it. So the key is really understanding who's in your audience and where you can find them, but also finding the right platform to run the ads. Yeah. And any other kind of big um, kind of challenges in cannabis that you see that could be, you know, for companies that can figure out solutions around could be a big game changer. I mean, we talked about advertising. Are there, you know, things like talent, you know, operational processes? What else comes up for you when you look at companies? Yeah, I mean, certainly uh, talent is a big one. I'm glad you brought that up because... There's, um, you know, every company, pretty much every company in our portfolio is growing and adding people almost constantly. And the ability to add a quality team and grow uh, your base of team is really, really important and crucial, especially if you want to operate in different states. You know, if you want to open, you know, 10 more stores in a different state, you have to find 10 store managers, 100 bud tenders, et cetera, et cetera. So you really yeah. have to find good talent. Um, so that's really important. And, you know, it's a challenge because, there's, you know, lab- the labor pool is, is difficult to begin with. So it's not easy to find quality workers, you know, to, to go into the industry. We recently invested actually in a learning management platform for training. So yeah. uh, we believe training is a big field for cannabis employees in, in the future. Yeah, yeah. 
So let's talk about what's going on on the East Coast here a little bit. I think as most people probably know on the podcast here, you know, a couple of states on the East Coast, notably New York and New Jersey, have passed or at least in the process of passing or they've passed and they're putting together regulations around uh, adult use cannabis. I mean, I guess how interesting this is for you. Is this, you know, a total game changer? Is this just kind of natural growth of things? Like me, give me your kind of take on what's going on here and, and why it's is it, why it's important or what people should know about it. This is probably the most important, interesting subject for me and a complete game changer. Yeah. And so for my own personal history, I, I've lived here in Philly forever and I, I've traveled many times out to the West Coast. Uh, to Denver and, and Portland and Seattle. And I saw what was happening year after year in cannabis. And then I would come home <laughs> and there was nothing going on. <laughs> and I, you know, I kept thinking, you know, eventually we'll get there politically and, and things will change. So what's about to happen in New Jersey and New York is, is seismic. It's the same effect as what happened on the West Coast with California, Oregon and Washington. You know, if you go to those states now, there's cannabis everywhere, jobs, taxes, you know, stores. And so we're still in the first or second inning o- over here. You, all, you have about 30 million people in the tri-state area that have very little access to legal cannabis right now. And that's all about to change. We also know that the illicit market for cannabis is beyond anyone's imagination about what's being sold day to day. And so once we get New York City, for example, uh, on with cannabis stores, like we think the numbers are going to be incredible. Let me add one other thing. There's also New York brings a lot of other things. It brings advertising and marketing, Madison Avenue. You know, every big brand wants to make it in New York and get exposure there. And also there's enormous amount of capital. It's the financial capital of the world, hedge funds, you know, uh, investment clubs, you know, family offices. They're all in New York. And I believe that a capital is starting to come out easier because these markets are going to adult use. And then finally, we still have, I don't mean to just focus on New York and Jersey. We have Connecticut coming online. We got Vermont and Maine, which are adult use. We should have Virginia and maybe Maryland coming up. And then Pennsylvania hopefully will follow. So (laughs) you're going to be surrounded at some point here. We we have to do it. We have no choice. Yeah, well, it it does. It just becomes, um, you know, it's it's not viable to to not be in the market because it's just going to, you're going to lose so many opportunities. So. And anything about those markets, I mean, I, you know, in terms of how they're structured or how they appear to be, you know, going to be structured and the regs and, you know, any, anything that's interesting to you in terms of what's coming up in these? Well, actually, today is the, the first day that people can um, apply in New Jersey for cultivation. Yeah. So it's an exciting day for New Jersey. And that market is very interesting to me for a bunch of reasons. First of all, there's nine million, approximately nine million people that live there. And it's the most dense state in the country. It's very tightly packed. It's pretty easy to get from north to south or east to west. And so we believe that, and there's 16 million tourists or something like that every year. So we believe that New Jersey, uh, with its proximity to New York in the north and to Philadelphia in the south, is going to be an underrated huge market um, pretty quickly. We also know that there's only about 13 or 15 stores and grows right now. So because it's been so limited, you know, it's about to get much, much bigger in a hurry. 
So we're excited about that market. New York is probably a year behind, but that's going to have a lot of great factors as well. Yeah. And what do you anticipate? I mean, I I mean, that's a a lot of growth in in an area that has a lot of demand. (laughs) Where do you think the bottlenecks, pinch points, challenges are going to be as, you know, New Jersey, New York, tri-state area kind of takes off? Well, I think that um, we've seen this in many other markets. I think that distribution and uh, will be a bottleneck, which is partly why we're we're going to focus on that in New Jersey. So, mm-hmm. being able to distribute uh, all over the state and get quality product on time to every store is going to be a big factor. Yep. We also think, you know, brands are there's so there's very little brand awareness in those states yeah. because there's so few patients right now, yep. and there's not a lot of business. So. I think there's going to be a lot of brands that are coming in and trying to, you know, take market share um, and really get going. We also believe lab testing will be really important because there's so little weed being cultivated right now um, and there's going to be a lot more grows coming in. We need more labs. And, you know, and so I think that'll be another growth area. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, um, I mean, in terms of some of the other big changes in like federal legalization and things like that, I mean, are there any kind of policies Things that you kind of keep track of, you you have your eye on either at the federal or the state level that um, you know could could mean changes to opportunities or to the business you're invested in or where you're going to invest in the future. Sure, and I focus on this every day, so I actually have a, a little bit of a list here. <laughs> so you know, number one, definitely, we can start with the bad news. Like the safe banking bill didn't yeah. make it into the uh, latest defense bill, which was kind of a bummer. But yeah. we do believe that safe banking will pass, and so that yeah. is a very big deal. For the, for the industry financially. The other thing I'm, I'm looking at is this bill that Republican Nancy Mace in South Carolina put up a federal legalization bill a couple of months ago. And that's really important, even though it won't pass any right now. But the fact that they were getting more and more Republican support in a state like South Carolina, which doesn't have much to do with cannabis yet, that's mm-hmm. very important for the long term uh, possibilities here. We also have Montana, which is starting adult use sales on January 1st. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. Internationally, we have Germany and Malta that have just announced full federal legalization. So that's presenting yeah. other opportunities outside this country. And finally, one other thing that I, I really like, and this is so important, is the DEA and the White House have finally agreed to allow research. They're going to streamline research into cannabis. And this is extremely important for the ultimate growth of this industry. We need clinical proof of what we all know, that cannabis is is good for you. And so getting more research done will push more states and the federal government and more politicians over the finish line and, you know, make it available for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about Panther Group, what's the best way to get that information? So visit our site, uh, thepanthergroup.co. Uh, we have a, we'd love to you to sign up for our newsletter, um, which we put out like once a month or so. We have uh, a lot of podcasts. And thank you very much again, Bruce, for having me on today. Yeah, my pleasure. We like to put links to this on our, our website. We have a LinkedIn and an Instagram. And we also show up at uh, almost every trade show in the industry uh, we love educating and talking to people, so feel free to reach out anywhere, and uh, we'd be happy to chat. That's great. I'll make sure that all that information is in the show notes. Scott, thank you so much for taking time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. This is great. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, 
Download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.